It's always important on a day like today, and at the end of a day uh, like today, when we take this time for our practice to acknowledge our effort, our determination, we develop the path by developing our, uh, our good qualities, our effort, and our determination uh, are part of our parami, uh, and we learn to reflect on our goodness. So there are actually two separate elements of the development of the path. Uh, to develop your parami, your effort and determination in practicing the Dharma, is the greatest uh, expression of your parami and your goodness uh, to develop your parami and then to reflect on it. To reflect on it brings bright, brightness to the mind, joy to the mind. So we all made a decision to come here today. We all made this effort over these hours today on a Saturday to come here today. I often say on these retreats, I can't tell you how many times I've said on these retreats, these day-long retreats, I've said, you know, we've made a decision to come here today. Uh, there were many other things that we could have decided to do. There are many other things that we could have decided to do on a Saturday in New York City, the greatest city in the world. Right? Many other ways that we could have spent the day, we could have spent the day taking in the various pleasures of the world. But we made a decision to, to, to practice the Dharma, to meditate, to do sitting and walking meditation for seven hours. So what motivates us? What brings us here? One of the, uh, it's, an important, it's important to understand motivation uh, and skillful motivation uh, so that we can develop it. One of the uh, qualities of skillful motivation that we learn to develop and that I think really in many ways brings us here on a Saturday is a sense of urgency. There's a sense of urgency. There's many things that we could have done, but we decide to do this to practice the Dharma, to practice meditation, because we understand uh, that time is short in which to do what we have to do so that we know a greater happiness in our lives. The time is short. We have a limited amount of time to put an effort into know knowing a greater happiness, a true happiness, to limited amount of time that we have in this life uh, to uh, in which to make an effort to know the happiness that this life does offer us as human beings. You know, we could say, well, you know, I could, I could engage in certain pleasures of the world. And most of us, you know, if we decide to do that, there are probably things that we've done before to some extent, maybe the movie we see on Saturday, November 19th, instead of going to the retreat is a little better than the movie we saw a couple of weeks ago. But you know, we kind of are familiar with those happinesses of the world. The practice offers us a greater happiness, a different happiness, a true happiness. Uh, 
and we want to know that happiness. And there's a sense of urgency uh, because these opportunities that we have to practice in the way that we practice today uh, are limited, are limited. So uh, we can develop this sense of urgency uh, as the Buddha teaches by being mindful of death. Mindfulness of death is uh, one of the reasons why we practice mindfulness of death is to develop a sense of urgency, this kind of sense of urgency that brings us here to PS3 on a Saturday. So what is this mindfulness of death? It always seems like a strange term, mindfulness of death. Am I mindful of myself as I'm dying? Uh, I mean, one part of mindfulness of death is is to reflect on the truth of death by uh, by uh, uh, having a sense experience that reminds us of the truth of death. In other words, we used to, when I would teach death courses, we would visit a cemetery. We used to do, uh, we did, I remember doing, teaching uh, mindfulness of death, and some of you were probably there many years ago over on 3rd Avenue, and I sent everybody to a cemetery on 2nd Street between 1st and 2nd, I think it was, or 1st and A. Uh, So that's one way of practicing mindfulness of death, but really what it comes down to, if we think about what we talked about this morning in terms of what mindfulness is, it's a process of remembering. So we can think about mindfulness of death as a process of remembering. And, you know, it's pretty simple. We remember that we are going to die. And that all of us here are going to die. And all beings are going to die. So it's a process of remembering. It's a process of remembering. Just like in being mindful of the breath, we remember the breath. Remember our intention in being mindfulness of death. We remind ourselves in a skillful way that we will die. And this leads to a sense of urgency when we practice this mindfulness skillfully. It motivates us to practice the Dharma while we have a chance to do it, to prioritize the practice, to prioritize our meditation and our, medita- and our, and our Dharma practice. The sense of urgency motivates us to do what we need to do to alleviate suffering. We only have a limited amount of time, and it's, it's a big job. It's a big job. It's an important job to alleviate suffering. I mean, it's a very important, you know, and we, we had a couple of good discussions, a, very, a lot of great discussions today in the, uh, in the, in the meetings. And, uh, you know, in a couple of the discussions we talked about, you know, what is the goal of the path, and what is it to alleviate suffering? And the way that I've been teaching this for a while now is when we think about suffering, and we're really talking about uh, dukkha, the suffering that the Buddha refers to in the First Noble Truth when he asks us to comprehend suffering. He's asking us to comprehend the dukkha, the suffering that's caused by our clinging. Right? So, and, and a good way to think about this, and it's a, it's a very classical way, it's a way many of the Thayajans would talk about it, when we think about suffering, uh, this, this dukkha that we're causing by clinging, uh, this state of suffering is a state in which the heart is blocked off. We're obscured from the heart. So our clinging causes us to, uh, to be cut off from the heart. 
So uh, this, this dukkha, the Buddha said, is rooted in aversion and desire. All dukkha, all clinging, is rooted in aversion and desire, wanting what we don't have, uh, crying and weeping from being separated from what we don't have, and not wanting what we do have crying and weeping from being joined with what we find displeasing. So uh, we have this sense of urgency. We develop this sense of urgency uh, in part by remembering that we'll die. Uh, uh, it motivates us to do what we need to do to alleviate this dukkha so that the heart, so that we, the heart is not obscured, so that the heart is free so that the heart is free. So we have this sense of urgency. We have just this short amount of time in this life in which to abandon our clinging to aversion and desire. So this sense of urgency motivates us to know the happiness of the heart, true happiness, a greater happiness. We want to have a heart that's free, that's shining. So as Dharma students, we practice mindfulness of death. We remember that we're going to die. This sense of urgency that arises motivates us to practice and informs our actions. It informs our actions as we go throughout the course of our days. You know, realizing that our time is short, we're motivated to put our time to good use while we're able to, while we have this human birth, which is actually a very fortuitous birth. You know, it's a birth because of the gift that we've been given of the human mind and the human heart by which we can awake, and we can awaken in this, in this human birth. We can have a heart that's free. So we want to put this time to good use to make the most of our opportunity as a human being, uh, and while we're healthy while we're healthy and able, to, and able to do this. So, you know, the pleasures of the world offer their happiness, and there's many temptations. The Thai Ajans like to talk about the baits of the world. There's a lot of bait. Uh, and, you know, a lot of that temptation becomes, comes because these pleasures of the world offer an immediate gratification. Day like today doesn't always offer immediate gratification, right? It's hard, it's difficult. A lot of the interviews of this is difficult. Teaching these retreats for many years, that usually is one of the primary themes. You know, it's challenging. So, you know, but we've made this decision. We've made this decision to give up those easy happinesses, those happinesses of the world which maybe offer an immediate gratification. Our intention is not uh, uh, inclined to do it toward doing what is easy or what is pleasant or what offers immediate gratification, but to do what benefits the awakening of the heart, knowing happiness of heart. So our intention is informed by compassion because we have this wish to have a heart that's free. It's informed by metta to know this happiness of heart and to live from there. 
So we know benefits on the retreat. You know, I mean, there is some gratification that we experience on the retreat, the blessing of the con concentration and the joy of doing the practice and being here with each other. Uh, but we also come here, our motivation uh, is, is guided toward doing what's going to be for our long-term benefit not just for the benefit that we'll experience in the moment while we're here today, but we're gonna, what we're going to do here today, what we've done here today, is for our long-term benefit. So sometimes we experience these sort of quote-unquote long-term benefits on the way home from the retreat, a moment when the heart is open, a moment when we feel love for that person walking down the street on our way home, or maybe we experience it tonight, or the next day, and so forth and so on. You know, we're developing these qualities, we're developing concentration here, we're developing wisdom in ways that we may not even see. I mean, much of the concentration that we're developing, you know, it's very hard to see that you're developing concentration to the extent to which you're developing concentration. I mean, how many times have I taught retreats and people have come into interviews, if it's a day long or a longer retreat, I don't have any concentration today. And like the person is like, you know, zonked out on concentration, but it's very hard for us to see that and appreciate that. And the wisdom certainly that we gain on a day today, it, like today is oftentimes indiscernible. You know, the wisdom, that, the things that we have come to understand in the heart. But gradually, little by slowly, you know, what we do here today is for our long-term benefit. concentration that we develop, the discernment, the development of our goodness. So mindfulness of death supports us, remembering that we'll die also support, supports us in developing equanimity, in developing equanimity. We learn to relate to conditioned experience uh, with equanimity. Equanimity is rooted in insight. So as we, as, we, as we meet our lives and the conditioned experiences of our lives, of our bodies, of our sense experiences, uh, we meet our uh, experience with equanimity uh, because we are developed to the extent that we are in the understanding that uh, these things are, in fact, conditioned and impermanent. We understand the conditioned and impermanent nature of our experience. So we relate to our experience uh, with equanimity because we understand that we die. We understand that we die. We understand, uh, we develop this understanding. Uh, I mean, we understand it, it's in the heart. You know, the reflection on death, on sickness and aging uh, and separation is a reflection, a reminding, a using of the head to connect to the truths that are already in the heart. But that wisdom is already in the heart and we're connecting to that wisdom that's in the heart by remembering the truth of death and the conditioned nature of the body. So we develop equanimity vis-a-vis -vis the body. You know, we understand you know, vis-a-vis -vis the aging of the body, the illness of the body, the death of the body. We develop equanimity with regard to all bodies, all these bodies we understand in the heart are subject to death and aging and illness. 
we understand that we'll be separated from all that's dear and appealing to us. You know, this understanding leads to equanimity. We don't react emotionally to these inherent truths of life. These inherent truths of life, we don't react, that's, that's equanimity. We don't react with uh, emotionally. We, we don't react, we don't uh, have a reactive way of dealing with these truths of life. We relate to these experiences with equanimity, with wisdom, with compassion. The body's experience, so equanimity, uh, this understanding uh, includes understanding uh, that the body's experience of conditioned things is limited. The body's experience of conditioned things is limited, impermanent, unsatisfactory. The body's experience. I write about this a little bit in the book of Skill of Living. This is the editorial commercial part of the, you know, right? It's one of my favorite parts in the book, right? You know, because I, I, I kind of go into this in real depth in the book, and I talk about how, and I don't know if anybody here can identify with any of these things, but, you know, the eye, you know, the eye ages and it doesn't see with the same acuity, and the nose doesn't smell those beautiful flowers with the same, you know, and the ears, you know, just doesn't hear that beautiful music in quite the same way, and the body doesn't feel you know, that, that, that beautiful sun and, and, you know, on a winter day in the same way that it used to. You know, I mean, this is the body aging, but we understand that. You know, our experience of what's known as the world, the world of the senses, is deteriorating, you know. Just as those experiences are also deteriorating from moment to moment, the sounds and the smells, you know, and the sun passes very quickly on a winter day, right? The Buddha said, the world is swept away. All those pleasures of the world that we could have, that we could have uh, enjoyed today, all those pleasures of the world are swept away. They don't endure. As we come to understand this, you know, we're not so intoxicated with the things of the world. We're not so intoxicated with our sense experience. And we, and we understand that the things of the world are unreliable. Sense experience is unreliable. The conditioned realm is unreliable. These are unreliable things. And what we, as the more we start to understand this, the more we turn to looking for happiness in things that are reliable. We're looking for a reliable happiness. The Buddhist happiness is a more reliable happiness. That's why we sometimes call it a true happiness. I mean, it's an analogy, but like with a friend, you want a friend who's reliable. They're going to show up, right? They're going to be there. Beings are, you know, there's a certain amount of unreliable, so it's not a perfect analogy. But in a happiness, we want a happiness that's reliable. So we've come here today because we're looking for a happiness that's more reliable than the happiness that's offered by the things that we could have engaged in if we didn't come here today. We seek a reliable happiness, a happiness that transcends uh, unreliable things, transcends birth and death. So we practice here in that effort to know a more reliable happiness. And the breath is a more reliable happiness, right? The breath is a more reliable happiness. 
So it's always there with us. We don't have to go outside of ourselves. Tanisara Bhikkhu talks about this often with greater uh, eloquence than I can, but you know, the breath is always there. It's not like we have to take something from the environment or you know, get a better spot online you know, or something. You know, it's always right there. You know? It's not completely reliable, but it becomes pretty reliable as we learn to cultivate it and develop it. And of course, we learn, we're learning to incline and to know uh, uh, an even more reliable uh, abiding, an even more reliable happiness, the happiness that comes from cessation, the happiness that comes when we abandon aversion and desire, the happiness that comes, that's right there in those moments of just bringing awareness to an experience like some form of dukkha, some anxiety or worry or sadness, and just bringing awareness to it with our equanimity. Uh, and there's that little bit of space when clinging falls away just for a hair's breadth of a moment, and we know what it's like when we're not clinging, and we have a glimpse into what cessation is. This is why we're here. All this work and concentration is enabling us to know, to know what it's like when there is a letting go of aversion and desire, when there is uh, an abandonment of that which is unskillful, to know what it's like when dukkha subsides, even if it's just for a moment. Sometimes that's experienced as uh, the Bahiya Sutta refers to, and just in those moments in meditation when there's just breathing. Just breathing, right? Maybe I had a moment of that. You know, I had a couple of moments, I think it was in the second sitting after lunch, of just breathing. You know, sometimes it's in the walking, right? There's a moment of just walking. Just walking. It's not, there's no I, as the Buddha said in that Sutta. There's no I or me here. There's just walking. This, just this is the end of suffering and of stress. We learn to incline to know those moments of peace. Sometimes we, we know that as it, as it takes shape in awareness itself. Awareness itself. The quality of awareness that's free. Consciousness without feature. It's always, it's always right there. Awareness is always right there. So who's right there? Noticing this a lot lately, I've been, and I, you know, it's been useful to notice it because I'm like living. I've talked about this a little bit ad nauseum for some people probably, but I've been I'm living for the last year plus, like right down the block from like my first apartment, you know, in Queens. Where, you know, it's, you know, it, it's fine, it's great, you know, but it's sometimes it's like this is. I mean, I. I this is where I got started, and now I'm right back to the beginning again. Uh, uh, but it's just interesting because it's like, it's changed, right? Everything has changed, and everything's different. And like, I'll walk down the street, oh, that's the only store that's still there. You know, it's like, everything is different, you know? And it's like, it's like everything is so different, but awareness is the same. Awareness doesn't change. The quality of awareness is the, was the same in 1980 as it is in 2020. 2022. It's, it's awareness. It doesn't change. It's free. It's free. 
In days like this, we come to know and learn to incline to the heart that's free of its defilements. We come to know those sublime abidings. We've all experienced this in meditation, particularly on retreat, where the heart opens, you feel that freedom, the heart that's free, and you feel that quality of compassion and loving kindness. So as we, uh, as we understand uh, our experience uh, and as the heart opens, we're able to, and we are, as we're able to connect to the heart that's free, uh, we're able to uh, experience the sublime abiding of compassion, uh, the quality of compassion uh, in, uh, in light of our dukkha, in light of the way that we cling, in light of our aversion and desire. In light of our truth in terms of the truth of death. And so we open up to this truth, we reflect on this truth, the truth of death and illness and aging. And we are able to begin to relate with compassion and compassion for others. All beings are subject to sickness, aging, death, and separation. When we understand that we will die, when we understand that our time is limited, uh, there's actually a quality of joy. To really experience joy, the joy that's in the heart, you know, we only experience joy when we truly understand uh, that the amount of time that we have is limited. You know, this joy uh, that we come to know that's in the heart uh, comes from uh, knowing that we're making the most of our time, that we're doing what has to be done with the time that we have. Uh, and it's the joy in life. We understand how precious life is, so we take joy in these moments of life. We all just have these moments, these few days, and we take joy in these days, understanding how precious they are. And again, it's only as we develop mindfulness of death that we're able to appreciate the goodness of life. We understand how precious it is. We take joy in the time that we have. in the stillness, in the stillness, in the silence of our practice, we, we find our wish to be happy. And the wish to be happy is there, but we refind it. We refind it. We've known it. We refind it. It's a process of refinding it. We know our wish to be happy. We know, we, we know our wish to know happiness of heart, a deathless happiness. We connect to our wish for all beings, that all beings be happy of heart. We begin to understand that the heart that's afflicted with aversion and with desire is a heart that is cut off from knowing happiness. 
only when the heart is unafflicted, when we're able to have metta for all beings, will we know the greatest happiness that's available to us in this life, as long as there's aversion towards others. Any aversion that we have towards any beings is an affliction on the heart and prevents us from happiness of heart. These are ideas, when I speak about them, these are things that we have to come to understand through our practice. This is why we come here today, so that we can understand these things, so that we can develop concentration and the ability to see clearly and understand these truths. We begin to see what it's like when the heart is unafflicted. And we understand that that is the greatest happiness there is. And we understand that that is our greatest endeavor in this life to know this happiness of heart, the heart that's unafflicted. That's why we're here. So we're here and this time is well spent. I probably said that on many, many retreats as well. This time is well spent. As we move on in our practice, what matters become more and more clear to us. You know, a day of meditation like this, to me, is much more important now than it was 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. There's a greater sense of urgency to practice, but I, you know, that's, that's motivated in part by an understanding of the great importance of what it is that we do here. So as we move forward in our practice, what matters becomes more and more clear to us how we spend our time. The question that I've been asking, and I'll end with this, I've been asking myself a lot lately in the last few years of of my life as I've gotten older, uh, as we all are, but uh, we get to a certain point in life, it's not a prerequisite that you have to get to be a senior citizen like myself and a few others who are here, but a question that I ask a lot is, Where do I want to be? How do I want to be when it's time for me to go? How do I want the heart to be? Sometimes we ask this question, how is the heart? How do I want the heart to be when when it's my time to go, when I die? You know, I mean, I think that's a good question for us to ask. For me, you know, that it just becomes so, so clear, so increasingly more and more clear, you know, that I want purity of heart. I want to die with a heart that's free, that's pure. I may not get there, but I'm sure as hell going to put an effort into it. And I want to leave as as few traces of suffering and aversion and desire behind me as I possibly can. To me, there's nothing more important. You know, all the possessions and all the pleasures of the world that we gain aren't going to mean that much when we die. And what's going to matter is, is how is the heart? Is the heart free? Is the heart unafflicted? Is the heart open and shining? There's nothing more important than more meaningful in this life than that. I mean, that's what the teachings of the Buddha would suggest to you. You have to see that for yourself. So at the very least, as I said, I want to be able to say, I put forth a good effort. I put forth a noble effort in the service of that, just that, of purity of heart. And this is what we've done here today.